This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. By Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. everyone, this is Tony Richards, and today on the Better Than Before show, my special guest is Michelle Moore. She's helping leaders of professional service organizations and their teams do better work in half the time. How's that for a promote ahead? We will be talking focus and distraction, and who doesn't get distracted in the noisy environment we live in today? Michelle has some great suggestions and answers for how we can do more work and better work in less time by being less distracted and more focused. That's all coming up. Our conversation is right around the corner. And then also later on in the program today, I'm going to focus on giving you three big ideas. And those big ideas I'm going to give you, they're also going to revolve around focus and attention. It's all coming up today on Better Than Before, sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Stand by. My conversation with Michelle Moore is coming right up on Better Than Before here on the C-Suite Radio Network. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Better than before. This is Tony Richards, and I am so happy to welcome Michelle Moore to the program today. She is the founder of Mine Equity. Uh, 
And for those of you who don't know, it has an EQ capital in the middle of it, Mind Equity, a management consultancy bringing 21st century tools and practices to the forefront of team performance. Michelle brings 20 years of experience building successful teams, having done so while a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers at Ernst & Young and at a tech startup. Now she helps organizations do better work in half the time. How does she do that, you ask? Well, by managing organizational attention. Michelle and her team at Mind Equity work with groups of consultants, advisors, innovators, IT professionals, HR leaders, lawyers, engineers, and others to design work keeping in mind all five elements imparting attention. Focus better journeys result in sustained value creation and market advantage. In addition to her work with Mind Equity, Michelle is a member of MIT's social presencing teaching team and is featured in the 2020 Digital Wellness Report and also speaks at McKay CEO Forums and McGill University. She's an extremely busy person, and we have been trying to get her on the program here for quite some time, and I'm glad we finally got that done today. Today is the day Michelle Moore is here. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Tony. So good to be with you. You bet. Yeah, we have been trying to get you here. And so I'm glad that we were able to work this out today. Appreciate it. In your work, you talk a lot about how important attention is. So is that like one of the main currencies, let's say, in business these days? It's just the amount that you can actually pay attention and stay in attention and that sort of thing? So I love that you use the word currency. I think it is the most underutilized asset that an organization, especially an organization that has primarily teams who think for a living or a team full of uh, an organization full of knowledge workers, without attention, people can't focus and people can't create value without burnout. So I believe it is an asset that we are not as leaders protecting today. We're not harnessing it. We're not designing work to enable its fullest capacity. And if we were to treat attention like money mm -hmm. or like time, I believe we could really stop the burnout and the great resignation that seems to be happening in particular in the tech sector oh and in the knowledge worker world. Yeah, that's for sure. So if attention can be my best friend, is my biggest enemy distraction then? So distraction is not an enemy. We need okay. balance. All right. Distraction is good for creativity. We need a balance between distraction and attention. So I never say that distraction is an enemy. However, in the last 10 years, with the proliferation of social media and continued advances in the smartphone and notifications and all those distractors that we used to not have, we do need to better manage how we relate to our technology and how we are in relationship with the digital world. So we have lost control. The issue is that Silicon Valley has created the attention economy. They have learned that attention is valuable to their bottom line. If we could flip that 
and have an internal attention economy that we wanted to protect and grow in our own businesses, in our own organizations, then we could balance out what's combating us from Silicon Valley and we could harness it or at least balance it out, this distraction attention conundrum and use it for the good of our own value creation, innovation and employee well-being. Thank you for doing that because you just caught me using, and I try not to do that. I got caught in the either or paradigm there and you helped me with the both and. So we need attention and distraction. I don't know. I'm interested in what you think about this, but it's just something about, and I've even tried to change the tone on my text message, but when I, my text message tone goes off, it's almost like in my head, somebody loves me. And I need to find out who that is. And I need to find out what they're wanting from me. You know what I'm saying? Well, you're a human like everybody else with this same issue. And we are attracted to because of dopamine hits, right? When we get a ding and we're just curious, yes, does somebody love me? Is Does somebody need something urgent from me? And it's just normal human being nature. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that. The technology has been designed to move us away from some value creation work that we might be doing at that time, or even building relationships with our family at dinner. It might be taking us away from that valuable activity as well, right? So we just have to learn how to be in relationship with it and manage it better, in my opinion. So tell me about this too, because here's just my thinking on it and kind of how I use it. If I've just got a quick hit message with maybe no more than two or three interactions, I'll text it. If I've got a longer message I'm trying to get across or communicate, I'll use an email. But if I need a conversation, I'm going to call you or I'm going to come see you or talk to you. Am I alone in that? Most people, how do they use that? You know, what I see primarily in tech companies and in this knowledge worker world that I mostly serve is there has been, especially in the pandemic, a decline in voice conversations. And I think you are a minority, at least in the circles that I work in, of picking up the phone and having a real conversation. And that's beautiful that you do that. Please don't stop. No, um, right. So I'm having to coach leaders and their teams on what is your balance between real-time communication that is not in a chat where you can hear a voice or see a face like you and I are doing now on Zoom yep. or even a walk and talk on the telephone. What is your balance between that real human communication, which obviously has declined in the in-person format, but hopefully now is coming back into play. That is a big question in work design that I encourage people to consider. How much can you move from chatting in Slack or in any other chat messaging apps or in text and just pick up the darn phone and have a nice live voice conversation. It's one of the biggest recommendations is it sounds super easy, but people have already gotten used to, especially the younger generation, right? Gotten used to, oh, it's just, I'll send a Slack message or I'll send a text or even an email because then it's out of my realm of responsibility and I just can forget about it and I have to wait for that person to respond, which I think is a little bit lazy or not responsible enough, depending on the subject matter at hand. There are certainly things that are completely useful for a quick chat 
message reply, right? But a real conversation that requires a strategy that requires discussion about innovation or real collaboration, if you can have a nice balance between real time, human or face-to-face, -face, the quality of output will greatly increase. Well, there's no tone or inflection. And so I'm someone who believes in the economy of words anyway. My text messages are five or six words long. And sometimes that comes across as abrupt or sharp. And that's not what I'm, I'm just not wordy. But I have friends that, and they're older than I am, most of them that feel this way. They don't even like talking on the phone. <laughs> I mean, my attorney's one of them. He doesn't even say bye. When he's done with his sentence, it's the phone goes down. But they talk to you all afternoon in person, but they don't like talking on the phone. So I can't even imagine sending one of them a text message. Yeah, words are important. And words are differently received and perceived and emotionally felt whether they are delivered through text versus delivered through voice versus delivered through human in-person interaction. And so we lack or we get rid of some of the empathic value that is so important for human collaboration, human value creation when we just rely on that texting. So you hit the nail on the head. So is there a difference between attention and focus? Yes. So focus is a skill that can be learned. Okay. And it is something I never had training on in elementary school, in university, or in college, or in my workplace. But these days, of course, there is lots of brain training, there's mindfulness training, there's meditation, and there are lots of ways to train focus just by even doing athletics or shooting pool. So anything where you're in the body and you're training the mind to focus on a particular object, be it the breath or be it shooting pool, that helps train focus. Attention, on the other hand, is actually a function of the body. So when you imagine if you're sitting on a unicycle, if you are sitting in your body, feeling your body, feeling your butt on that seat, and you're cycling and you're balancing, then you are harnessing attention to stay on that cycle. There's an element of focus, of course, as well, but that's the main difference. Focus is a skill and attention is actually a function of the body. So how do we thumbnail sketch, but how do we do a better job managing our tech and maintaining our focus and using our attention to be more productive? So when we talk about the organization, I have learned through my years of experience in consulting and working primarily in the tech space, that there are five things that impact our attention. And I'm going to just say at work because I focus on the workplace. Mm -hmm. So five things or five elements, I'm going to say work design elements that impact our attention at work. And one of them is focus. The second one is culture. The third one is balance. The fourth one is tools. And the fifth one is environment. And I like to use an analogy from swimming. I used to swim when I was growing up in Texas, I raced. And then here in Canada, I've been doing open water swimming. And so when you think of a group activity, like a relay race in the pool or in the lake, you can design the success of your team. So if we think about designing work in the pool, right, we're working to win a race or we're working to swim together. So the analogy here that's similar to the workplace is in the water, 
you are kind of forced to focus, but you are taught to focus when you're in the pool on that black line on the floor of the pool. So you train yourself to look at that pool, to focus on your strokes, to feel the water, to focus on that feeling, the flip turn. So that's all about training focus while you're in the water swimming. Mm. And the second thing is culture. So the analogy here is in a relay team, right? You have a culture of that little team of four people. And so in the culture of a swim team, it's kind of obvious that you're not going to interrupt your team member while they're doing their lap, while they're doing their part of the race. You're going to wait till that team member hits the wall, and then you're going to dive in after to do you, your part of the race. In the workplace, we've lost that clarity, right? And sports is sometimes way more clear how to handle culture, right? Because we're in an environment that is very controlled, but in the workplace, we have no limit to how much we distract each other by sending messages all day long. And so unless some forward-thinking companies like aerospace companies and other companies that I've worked with, they, on their desk, when they used to work in person, used to set up flags. And the green flag meant, you can interrupt me now. I'm not in a state of trying to innovate or write a report or whatever, or design something. So green flag means you can approach my desk. And red flag means I'm in a flow state. I'm trying to do innovation here or something really value added for our team. Please don't interrupt me. And those simple ways in the physical workspace, we're getting into environment design here a little bit. We're not using that in this digital world or not many companies are. So again, this analogy about culture, how do we design culture like the relay team? How do we design culture to create a behavior that allows this balance between head down focused work time or collaboration time or just blah, 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 chat time, right? Mm -hmm. The next one is balance. Balance is one of my favorite things to talk about because I feel like I've been so out of balance in particular since the pandemic. This balance between my head being in a screen versus me actually being in my body in a chair talking to somebody. So this overemphasis on online stuff forces us to be more in our heads and not so much. So we're losing that mind-body connection, which impacts innovation negatively and which makes us more tired. We have more burnout. So we need also balance between wisdom and intelligence. If we're solving everything just with the head, we're not tapping into wisdom, which is where the greatest value in that combination is created. So when you go back to the pool analogy, right, we have this balance of moving and breathing, this balance of water and air. If we don't have that balance, we're going to drown or choke or not be able to win the race. Yeah, I'm fascinated with the swim relay analogy because in athletics, I think it is more clear than in a corporate environment because I was a third base player in baseball and I was always conscious that how I played my position affected the rest of the team and how the game was going to go. But I coach CEOs and their executive teams and it's interesting how when you first go in to work with them, there's no shared agenda. They're all doing their own thing. Like they're all in self-interest is what I say. So how do you get that culture to a point where, and I've done it, but I'm curious about your thoughts about how do you get that where they 
share that agenda and they care about each other and they tap into that. So it's again about understanding how we're in relationship. We talked about being in relationship with our technology, but you talked about in the baseball analogy and in in any sports analogy, especially when you watch basketball, I think Mm -hmm. they're in relationship with the social body. So the social body is this collection of human beings in one container, i.e. a room or a basketball court or a stadium or whatever. So how we are in relationship with the social body allows us to tap into when you play baseball, like you described, you're having to tap into the wisdom of your body to sense the ball, to sense where other people are in the field. And I find it in particular easy to understand what the social body is when you watch basketball. Then there's this other thing called, because you can see how they're in a relationship with each other, right? And as you said, in the executive room, when people are always on their own agenda in their own heads and also in meetings on their phones, they're not paying attention to the social body at all. So the social body is the thing you can see, the people in the room around you that you can see. Right now, you and I are in a social body. We can see each other in Zoom. We're in a duet, let's say, right? A social body called a duet. Right. But the other complex thing is there's also the social field, which is the invisible web of relationships and history you have with that human being, however long you've been on the team, right? And when you're paying attention to both the social body and the social field, this is where the sense of empathy and just harmony in a team comes in. People have stopped paying attention to that. And that's this disbalance again. That's designing balance and designing a culture that allows us to tap into these pieces of information that kind of sound wooey, but when you think of basketball, they're not wooey. They're just there. It's human nature. There's social bodies, there's social fields. We have them in organizations, but that is being completely ignored. And that is crucial to harnessing attention. I think the thing about basketball too, that now that you've pointed it out, and I never thought about this before, but no one is very stationary. It's always motion. Everyone's in motion. No one's in one place for very long. Where in baseball, you are. You are in one place for a while. And in a meeting, you are in one place for like three hours. Right, right. Well, well, the basketball analogy is good because after the meeting, everybody goes in motion. And so staying as if you're in the meeting while everyone breaks up and goes in motion, I think, is the secret, right? Keeping that awareness up. Okay, let's do the other three. Yeah. So we've talked about in the swimming relay analogy, we've gone through how you focus when you swim, how you create the culture for your relay team to be able to have a winning streak and how to design and think about balance. And the balance is about how we're in relationship with each other, the seen relationship of physical bodies, as well as how we're in relationship with the relationships between us. So the fourth one is environment. So how do we design work, environment, physical environment, spaces, buildings, offices, home offices that enable attention management? So in the case of the relay, the design has been done for us. There's a swimming pool, there are lanes, there are lines on the ground, there's a building. It's a static thing. And that environment really forces a particular culture. It forces focus in a good way. So I'm using forcing in a good way, or in, I'm, I should say rather enables. Yeah. So we've lost that in the workplace because the environment is so hybrid. We're moving sometimes between three environments. If we're knowledge workers or tech people in particular, we might be in a cafe, we might 
be at home. We might be in Airbnb because we're traveling, working. We might be in an airport and we might be in an office space or our home office. And so all of these physical spaces, they're usually not designed to harness attention. So what can we control? What as leaders can we advocate for? We can control or at least fund or support the design of the home office and the work work office. And we can encourage certain norms for design if you've decided and you're allowed to go work in a cafe or if you're traveling and doing remote work. And the design of the environment is very simple. How do we design for some quiet? How do we have physical noise reduced? How do we have an environment where we really feel safe, where we have enough light, where we have the tools that we need at our fingertips to be effective? An environment design is about our relationship with space. And again, technology comes into it. Are we designing environments where in a Zoom meeting, for example, where we have a facilitator that is a professional facilitator, for example, coming in and facilitating strategic meetings so that people have psychological safety, so that that whole diversity and inclusion is cared for. Because in an environment where we don't feel safe, we can't innovate as well and we can't create as much value. So environment design includes the physical environment, but also how leaders are holding the space for a meeting in a physical meeting or in a virtual meeting and or whether or not they're bringing in outside facilitators or a trained facilitator that's not part of that current team that comes in to facilitate a meeting more effectively so one person doesn't dominate too much. So that's environment. Any comments on that, Tony? No, just fascinating. I mean, we could spend a lot of time on each one of these. Yeah, yeah. It's a very multifaceted work design area when you look at these elements in the workplace that hinder our ability to harness attention. So the last and not least one is tools. So we talked about our relationship with our digital tools. But there's also, and I love Cal Newport, who is kind of the father of digital minimalism and the father of the world without email. How do we in an organization and as leaders choose the right minimalist tool set in order to do the best quality work that we can do. And this is really hard because we have bring your own device. We have some companies don't even limit the apps you can download and use. We have too many ways to chat with each other. I advocate for looking at the tool set, at the digital tool set in a team or in an entire organization, depending on who I'm working with, and ask this question, how can we simplify the tool set? What do we need that's industry specific? What do we need for communication? What do we need for innovation? And generally, I mean, there are some, like Alex Salkover in his book, Your Happiness Was Hacked, proposes that based on his research that a company beyond the industry tools and beyond basic email and word processing, that no more than three to four digital tools are needed to get work done. So that is an extremely low number and people will freak out on that, but I would challenge leaders to incorporate and collaborate with their IT team in looking at that digital tool set and seeing where we can reduce some of that clutter. So that is a whole big design area about how we utilize that tool set. And the interesting thing is, 
when I said earlier that tools have become our masters. Mm -hmm. We are no longer the master of our tools. And when we think about tools, how many of our digital tools can we actually turn into a hammer? A hammer is something that's just lying there quietly, waiting to be picked up and used when we need it, rather than a tool that is constantly sitting there, but demanding <laughs> our attention. Right. So either we get rid of a tool in the toolbox that's not mission critical or that is duplicatory, or we really turn off notifications and turn it into a hammer. Especially the ones that show you the number of messages you're behind on, right? Exactly. You'll look yeah. at it and there'll be a circle with a five on it or something. You're like, oh my exactly. God, I'm really behind. Yeah. When actually, we should be the ones who decide when we go to that, right? Yeah. Michelle Moore, this is fabulous stuff. Gosh, this is why you guys see that I was so excited to have her on. Because we could keep going, but we've just about exhausted our time for today. But we'll have to have Michelle back sometime as we dive deeper into some of this stuff. But today's just been fabulous, Michelle. Thank um, you, John. We ask every guest that comes on the show these 12 rapid-fire questions. So I'm going to throw these at you, and this is going to help our audience get to know you a little bit better. Are you game? I'm game. All right. First one is, what is the best memory that comes to mind for you? I think it's learning how to swim in the ocean in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, when I was like three or four years old. That is an amazing memory that just stays with me. Lots of swimming on today's program. Lots of swimming, yeah. <laughs> Who's the number one hero in your life? I follow a lot of female trailblazers. And I'm going to say, because I recently heard a podcast with her, Jane Goodall. Oh, yeah. The chimpanzee scientist for her contribution to peace and the environment. She's a hero. What is the top value you subscribe to? Can you guess? Balance. Yeah. <laughs> Most important person in your life? My 26-year-old daughter. And her name is? Her name is Sashka. Oh, cool. What is your favorite thing in the whole world? My favorite thing is unobstructed views. Views of mountains, views of oceans that are not blocked by buildings or anything else. Unobstructed views. You like the word panorama, I suppose. I, I like the word panoramic view. Yeah, you could say I like panoramic views, yeah. What's your favorite food? 95% dark chocolate. Most beautiful place you've ever visited? I was just in Armenia, and it's my fifth or sixth trip there. My daughter is working there right now for the last couple of years, so I just came back. And the mountains and gorges and unobstructed views are just amazing. If you could describe success in one word, what would that word be? Inner peace. How do you want to be remembered? How I helped people personally and how I helped people at work. If you could go back and talk to a younger Michelle, what advice would you give her? I would say don't make decisions based on fear. Make decisions based on love. What's your favorite sound? Birds singing, chirping. And out of all the lessons you've learned in a lifetime, what's the best lesson? Go with your gut. Beautiful. Michelle Moore has been our special guest today. She is the founder of Mind Equity, a management consultancy firm. Michelle, how do people find out more about you and follow you and learn more? You can see lots of information at mindequity.org. And there's a green button there that says score your focus. 
If you're interested in how you score on these five dimensions that impact your attention, you can get a quick assessment. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go do it. it. And I'm going to be fearless about what it tells me. Brilliant. You'll get a report too after that. Okay, good. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. You're a great person, a great friend, and I appreciate you sharing so much value with our audience today. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And please come back as soon as you possibly can. Will do. You have a good day. Michelle Moore, everybody. I'll have more on Better Than Before coming up right after this. There's nothing quite like the love of a good dog. At University Subaru, it seems to us they're all good. See special pet-friendly features in the new 2021 Subaru Outback and Forester. It's never been easier to hit the open road with your best friend and to keep them safe with Subaru all-wheel drive. Subaru is dog-tested and dog-approved. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru and a dog a dog. University Subaru, Columbia, homegrown and proud of it. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. This is Master Coach Tony Richards, and now I've got three big ideas to pass on your way to help you have a better week, do better coaching sessions, and improve your performance. Big idea number one, Performing at higher levels in a sustainable manner requires consistent observation, discipline, and mind training. So you've got to observe yourself. You've got to have discipline improvement, and you've got to train your mind. Hopefully you learned some of this in our conversation with Michelle today on how to do that. Let me give you some statistics here. The average American spends 608 hours on social media, and 1,642 hours watching television in a single year. If that time was spent reading, that'd be over a 1,000 books a year you could read if you did that instead of social media and watching TV. Isn't that crazy how redirecting that focus would be productive in that manner? Big idea number two, for high performance, you have an inner battle and an outer battle. In the inner battle, you have to control your mind and replace your negative thoughts. In the outer battle, you got to be aware of triggers and responses. So the battle is between your ears on the inside and on the outside, it is triggers, things that will cause you. So one of the most basic examples, I've been trying to eat better this year and I've been trying to change my lifestyle from a diet perspective. I've been saying I'm on a healthier journey than before, but I got to be careful because if I'm watching television and a pizza ad comes on and that gooey, juicy, melty cheese is filling up the screen, all of a sudden that gets in my thinking, my mouth starts watering and you know what I want? I want some pizza. That's called a trigger and a response, right? So the response is I get up 
and I either go to the fridge and pull out a frozen pizza and make it, or I get on the phone and order one up to come right to my door. That's the response. So in the outer battle, you got to watch the triggers and the responses. And if you can locate the triggers, then you can control them or you can remove them or you can limit your exposure to them. So if you can control the trigger, then you don't have to worry about the response. By the way, Marshall Goldsmith has a great book on that. It's called Simply Triggers. Big idea number three, there is always a moment of space between stimulus and response or trigger and response. And in that space, you've got to train yourself to listen to inner response cues rather than responding to outer ones and choose the right response that will serve you best. It's simply making better decisions. That's what discipline is. It's making better decisions for the future you. Is the future Tony going to be better off or worse off because I make this decision to drink this, consume this, eat this? That's what I'm going through right now with this healthier journey I'm on is that I constantly got to make that decision. You might say, oh, heck, man, that's too much work. I just want to eat the cheeseburger. Right. That's what most people do, which is why most people have this issue. And that's what I've done for a lot of years, which is why I need to do better. So you got to think that way. Which one of these responses is going to serve the future Tony the best or the future you the best? Because you're at the center of the galaxy of you. And yes, your world does revolve around you because you are the one making decisions in it. And you are the one that's going to have to live with whatever decisions you make in it. Well, that's our program today. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and you can come over and join our free Facebook page at Tony Richards Speaker, Author, Coach. Special thanks, as always, to super producer Tessa Hall for another great episode she's put together here for us. And until we visit again next week on Better Than Before, I'm Tony Richards reminding you to keep this one thought in mind. Everything gets better when you get better. For listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.